Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Ahoy and welcome to Always There, the Howard's Way podcast. I'm Julia Rayside. Thank you for joining me as I navigate through every single episode of the 1980s seafaring soap opera set in the fictional English coastal town of Tarrant. It would be a lonely voyage without you. My shipmate this week is writer, broadcaster and presenter Nick Dunker. I'm laughing already. Welcome you... aboard, Nick. Um, is that too much? No, I like it. I discuss whether I should say welcome aboard or not. And I'm no, sure there's not. actually a moment, and I'm glad that we've got to this so early, okay, good. where uh, one of the characters says to another in this episode of Howard's Way, she said, oh, even our metaphors are nautical. Yes, yes, it's, one, it's my favourite bit of the whole episode. Which they are, because it's very, very important that Howard's Way is nautical. Yeah. It's, it just goes through it all. Are you I've, saying we should just go with the flow? I think any time we can throw in a, an ahoy, or a welcome yes. aboard, then we should just absolutely go for it. All right, agreed. Can I tell you what I was laughing at while you did your introduction as yes, well? please do. It never ceases to amuse me that the town is called Tarrant <laughs> because it's just Chris Tarrant, isn't it? It's like, it's 1985 and we are living in Chris Tarrant's universe. You expect him to be in a pair of waders fishing in the background of every scene. <laughs> I, I, I'm just, now I can now see him in nautical gear. I think he'd probably go for one of those hats. As an expert... Do you think he's got a boat? He strikes me as someone who's got a boat. Tarrant. Mm. Well, I know he likes fishing, and I know he likes trains. So whether... Oh, he, I don't know how... I don't know whether those Venn diagrams overlap, because he's not... I don't think, actually, he's a sea fisherman. I think he's like a coarse... I yeah. think he's like a sand in a river. OK, well, I mean... his rod. If anyone ever does bump into Chris Tarrant, uh, uh, do ask him if he likes sailing, and then let us know. And then um, say, is that your final answer, Chris? Because apparently he <laughs> loves that. If you ask him a question, then he gives an answer and say, is that your final answer? He loves it. <laughs> Can you answer me a question, actually, as the person who knows the most about Howard's Way? I I am. I, I am that person. Um, is there a specific town that Tarrant is based on? Do you know? No, it's it's fictional. I can tell you where it's filmed. I don't know whether I want to know that. It okay. might spoil the m- mystery well, for me. No, it's entirely fictional, but obviously it's a lot of the outside locations were all in one particular small town. Okay, go on, tell me. Um, it's called... Well, now this is... Oh, so I still haven't found out. For definite, I'm going to need to go there and ask a local. It's either Burlesden uh-huh. or Burzeldon. Oh, you mean you don't know how it's pronounced? No, I don't know how to pronounce it. I know where it is. I Believe me, I have Google Street Viewed well, the streets around it, but I don't know. One of the things you know about me, Julia, is that I used to, for a long, long time, present the travel news on the radio. I do know this about you, yeah. 
And I did it for such a long time that I was quite good at place names, but I don't know that one. And, and it's really important that you do because there's nothing worse than getting a place name wrong. I mean, people will let you know so quickly when you're getting a place name wrong. Well, we're, th- we're at Always There Pod on Twitter, so if you do know that I'm pronouncing it Is wrongly. it Burzledon or Burzledon? I've been saying Burzledon because I thought it's like a John Betjeman thing. You know how he always pronounces things in all of his programmes when he went around Metroland and stuff? He'd always completely pronounce things a different knew, way to everybody else. See, I knew that this To would try be, and sound like a local. <laughs> I knew this would be the beauty of this podcast, <laughs> that we'd be talking about how to wait. In would go John Betjeman, because that's the kind of people that we are these days. I know, I know. I know there's a bit in it where there's a bit actually... In this episode, which is episode three, do they have titles, the episodes? They don't, because there's far too many of them. They're like yeah. 79 episodes, so um, that would be But silly. I know in this episode, there is a bit where Tom gets in his car and drives to Chichester. Yeah. And it does not take very long. No, it's local. So that placed it in that world for me. I was watching this episode with Catherine, my wife, who not only is actually the other world's biggest housewife fan as well as you. Oh, I love her. She's got to do this podcast. I'm sure she, I'm, she won't be able to stop herself at some point, but... Um, <laughs> The other thing was is that part of the reason that she watched Howard's Way when she was a kid is that her dad was very into sailing. So although he was very snobby, and I should save this stuff in case she ever does do the podcast, but <laughs> although he would be very snobbish about what they could watch sometimes, they were allowed to watch Howard's Way because it was all about, it's all about sailing. I have to say, we have a long comment. It was the same in my house. My dad was a sailing instructor back so, in the day, and we could all agree to sit down and watch Howard's Way together. That so when I said, I wonder where it's set, she immediately went, oh, the Solent. Yeah, it's, all, it's all around the Solent. Well, it's the Hamble estuary. Like, the Solent, as yeah. someone from Leeds, I'd know <laughs> what that meant. I don't, I don't I mean, I know roughly. Don't you even know? Ugh. Not really. Anyway, so this is episode three of series one. We're going to talk a little bit about the episode at least. Mm-hmm. And this one opens with... I'm fascinated by this because I didn't notice this when I was a kid and I used to watch it in 1985. Yeah. Whenever a scene opens at the boatyard, you get some kind of top shot of the boatyard. You always see... Like a crane shot. Yeah, but you always see the mermaid bust. She is this ever-present, big boost mermaid bust, and she's going to attached to the roof of the shed uh, which overlooks the boatyard where the offices are and she features heavily in in the opening of this episode she's always looking over so what's happened before can you fill me on what's happened before the start of this episode because I I just watched this as a standalone Tom Tom Howard main character yeah he's been the fantastically handsome and (laughs) Really terrible. I'm sorry. I'm he is say it not early terrible. On. He's so <gasps> so rubbish. Nick. Uh, and uh, he's been fired from his. What's his job? He was an aircraft designer at of Southern Aerospace. He was. Southern Aerospace. I think it was I'm called assuming that. they're fictional, are they? Aerospace. Yeah. We'll get in touch about. Anyway, that. so what's happened is he has always had a passion for boats. He even designed his own boat, the Flying Fish. The Flying Fish. Yes. Which is a, a family sort of a member of their family, effectively. He's now decided at the moment of uh, you know redundancy not knowing what to do with his life. Did he get a big payout? He got some payout and he's put himself in hocks yeah. old, the flying fish. He's risked the, the To house. a mysterious buyer. Um, no, he hasn't risked the house. Let's be clear about this. Okay, there's a big scene with a bank manager where the bank manager says, you're mortgage-free. You could, you could borrow quite a lot more on the house. And he says, oh, no. I'm not doing that. Because that was, dramatically, that would be too easy for him. So, no, he gathers some money together, sells his boat for 20 grand. That's really worth quite a lot of money. And then he invests £110,000 in the yes. mermaid boatyard, much against the wishes of his wife, Jan. £110,000? So we join... We join it's presumably like about a billion in this It's, a, it's a million trillion billion, actually. Mm. It's the actual... It, it converts to that now. We join Jack in the Jolly Sailor, which is the favoured pub of the residents of Tarrant. And he... Uh, this calls for celebration, he says. And uh, he's holding 
caught uh, telling I'll have a scotch. <laughs> a large scotch. It's always a large scotch. And he's got a cigar, so you know he's really pushing the boat out. He's oh, my, look, see, pushing the boat out. Like you've done it again. It's just, it just happens. You can't you've stop it. You've run that one up the flagpole and saluted <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm afraid I did. Yeah. <laughs> he's my favourite character, incidentally, Jack. Why do you like him so much? Is Jack the actor's name or the character's name? <laughs> the character is Jack. The actor is Glyn Owen. Glyn Owen, of course. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's his voice. Yeah, it's really Jack textured Rolf. and rich, isn't it? There's a brilliant bit. I'm, I'm going to try not to spoil things by getting ahead of myself, but okay. I, I always remember. I that. think you're so enthusiastic, you won't be able to stop. Yourself. I know I won't be able to stop myself talking about future spoiler things, but it, where he goes, somebody's nicked my bloody boat, <laughs> and to me that was always the essence of uh, Jack Rolf. Yeah, um, he's slightly bumbling, isn't he? He, he sort hopeless. of really doesn't know what he's doing about anything. But it's the 1980s, so you can be a sort of semi-success without knowing anything about anything <laughs> apart from the old ways of the best. I mean, it's a sort of Brexit metaphor, really. <laughs> kind As of, It's just come yeah. to me just now, but <laughs> the Mermaid Shipyard is, you know, Tom wants yeah. to plough on ahead into the future. And, he wants to take and them into Europe. meld the old and the new yeah. and bring in new ways of doing things. And, 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 Not wood. And Jack and also his brilliant <laughs> sidekick, Bill. Bill is my favourite uh, character, Who's yeah. also a great character, and because... And they've done a great job on the costumes, which is everybody else in it is very, very 80s. But Bill, because he's an old doffer, wears these ridiculously long collared shirts, like he's John Travolta <laughs> or something, because he's not changed his clothes since the 70s. But that's the attention to detail you get with this show. It's, it's always better than you expect it to be. Well, yes. It is. With caveats. No, no, well, OK, we'll get to the caveats in a minute. Um, I had forgotten, some. I mean, some of the episodes more so than others, this episode is drenched in booze. Every scene in this, someone's got a drink in their hand. So um, we joined Jan, and she knows that th- things aren't good between her and her husband. He's gone off and done the things she didn't want him to do, but she doesn't know this yet. Uh, and she's pensively flicking through a fashion magazine, as she's often won't to do. She's brilliant, and, and foreshadows what will happen to her career later. Exactly, and has a large drink in her hand and Leo and Lynn are supposed to be going out to a party someone called Julia's party I imagine it's an excellent I party love the, I love the <laughs> fact that going to this party and Leo doesn't look like he ever really wants to go to a party no but Lynn clearly a bit oh Lynn's up for a party she's covered herself Lynn the legs, head to toe as I just well to be honest anyone who watched it would think of her as Lynn the legs because <laughs> those is. pins are out I in know. every single scene uh, with a pair of pastel shorts yeah atop the brown legs. I mean, it's quite, it's obviously quite 80s in its attitudes. There's quite a few bits about yeah. nothing wrong with uh, using your assets to get a head lean. Yes, deeply uncomfortable now. Right away, there's a brilliant bit where Tom comes home and tells them all what he's done, that he's oh. going into... They don't, nobody's really that fussed about him buying into the mermaid, but it's the fact that he's sold the boat. Yeah. And Lynn has like a sort of teenage fit, throws herself onto her pastel-coloured uh, duvet, duvet yeah. cover yeah. and says, you're not selling the fish <laughs> which is how they all refer to it they all call yeah. it the fish that's don't they their, that's because it's their friend and Leo is so so sensible because he is like the archetypical sensible child he should have been played by an egg he's such a good egg he should yeah. have been like a lovely egg with a face yeah with a couple of moles just an egg with a couple of moles on I mean that's not far off no he is the nicest most he's considerate so nice thoughtful child so he basically just all yeah he's always like oh come on Lynn Dan's got our best interests at heart Lynn there's a lot of that and you know that that's going to carry on for five series <laughs> of Lynn like throwing a hissy fit yeah. and Leo going, I really think you should cut Dad some slack. And, and actually, what, you secret, so what I'm secretly thinking is, I'm with Lynn. 
I mean, I'm with Lynn. I know she's spoiled. But also, who's the most spoiled member of their family? Tommy's. Well, no, he is. This is the thing I've just done what he wanted. In the first two episodes, he's coded off again and again for not communicating what he wants and checking with the family first. And every single time, he just goes, "Okay, right, sorry. And then does it again. Yeah, just basically says sorry. So, yeah, he's very... He's quite... He's um, so lovable, but he's very silly. Yeah, and I think that is also partly to do with the way he looks. I mean, he is a very handsome man. He's adorable. He's really very handsome, Morris Corbett. The more I watch this, the more I'm developing a Tom Howard crush. Yeah, and he also looks nice. You know how some people just like the nice people? Yeah, he's boyish and and there's a warmth about him. He he carries off those pastel slacks (laughs) without ever seeming... Spivy, like you know, Ken Masters would. Yeah, he's often more in denim to be like fair. Like Charles Frere yeah. would be later on. But but you know, there's the old school. There's Jack and Bill and all those who look like old salty sea dogs. Yeah. And Tom's not that. Oh no no no! You know, no, Tom no. is definitely in the modern world, and he's tall and he's broad-shouldered and you know, he's sort is of that, everything is you want. Rangy, a good word. Rangy. I think he's probably rangy. Yeah, I think he's rangy. But at the same time, there's still a bit of him that's still relatively unreconstructed because it's the 1980s. Oh, there's loads of that. And we don't want to be completely limp about these kind of things. He still has to be a man. And it feels like that you're meant to think... Why the hell shouldn't he buy a ship? <laughs> you buy that boatyard, Tom. You sell the fish. You build that boat. It's absolutely fine. What is Jan moaning about? What is Lynn moaning about? Clearly, that's the way the series. Yeah, I wonder. Well, I, I know think. my family's sympathies. I, I think we're watching this back in the eighties would have been split. I think because Lynn's mum, Jan, really reminds me of my mum. And she's Lynn, everyone's mum, Jan. Lynn, though, she totally she? is. I think that's Catherine said to me last night. Do you, did you ever fancy Jan? And when no. I was watching, I was like thirteen or fourteen. So basically, well, I fancy no. anything. Really? Anything and everything. But I never did fancy uh, Jan. And I think that is because she was just too close to being your mum. Fancied one, Avril, obviously. Fancied Lynn. Didn't, yeah, but there's a, there's a moment where Lynn says, it's all she ever thinks about, the bloody house. And my parents were always like, we have to have the nicest possible house. Yeah. And then we had no, no, nothing to put in it, nothing no money else. to spend, no holidays, as long as you've got the nice house. And that kind of really reminded me there of is, my There's a, there's a bit of that. Shay Howard, mm. because I, I did feel like, while well, I'm saying that the costumes are absolutely fantastic, <laughs> the house never looks like a house. I was looking really hard at the screen, and we haven't got the biggest telly in the world, but I, it almost looked like there wasn't a carpet. I'm sure there was. <laughs> and I don't know whether it was the lack of knickknacks or whatever, but it never... Because you also get that thing that you get with 80s telly, don't you? Which is that anything that's shot on a set really very obviously looks like it's shot on a it's set. so obviously is And they days, really... Yeah. You'd think that they would avoid doing that thing, but you get someone around in a car and then you see them step out of the car and go into the house and it just looks completely different. So that's because you know they film... Did they shoot outdoors on film and indoors on video or something well, like there's that? There's also a grade thing but I think the studio and the location were so far from each other. The studio was Pebble Mill in Birmingham so the most really? landlocked place you could As far film. from the sea? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and obviously the location mark. stuff was all down by the Solent. If you were well. Christian Bale yeah. or Daniel Day-Lewis <laughs> you'd be like, I can't work in Birmingham. <laughs> Somebody get me some salt water and flick it at my face because I don't feel the sea here. Whereas Maurice Colburn was yeah. just like, I can do this. They're all, they're all professionals, he let's face really it. They all, they all, but, you know, I, that must have been quite difficult and perhaps why, why it was so difficult. Sorry, I'm, we're not really talking about the plot. I'm, at the beginning, you get the mermaid shipyard. I don't know if it was the first scene. It was one of the early scenes. Yeah, it is, yeah. And Tom turns up at the, at the shipyard and he meets Avril. And Avril's, Avril's clearly meant to be sexy from the start. Oh, yeah, she's sophisticated. She's not the obvious kind oh, no, of she's not, and, you know... She's not she's, overly sexy. Mm. Don't get me wrong. She's no barmaid. She's a bubbling cauldron of, you know, sophisticated she's, yearning. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and she comes out of, like, what's basically like a porter cabin or some, something massively unsexy, <laughs> because it is Howard's way. It's British telly in the 80s. It's not Dynasty. Yep. And she walks down the steps, and there's actually a sort of sax... 
plays. This happens a lot. I actually wrote down Avril Sexy Sax, which is, <laughs> is clearly like her little theme. It's like you are supposed to think. Absolutely. Here she comes. Yeah, and actually, different characters get the sax treatment at different points in the show. It's not just Avril. Um, Avril. Simon May is keen on this. Sometimes it accompanies. Usually, it accompanies a a character you're supposed to be finding sort of in some way alluring. Sometimes it just pops up for no reason. Really, really confusing. Yeah. On the whole, it really helps. Oh, I feel sexy now, but I don't know why. (laughs) Yes. And it's because Simon May has put that in your ear. He's he's. He's Stop playing with that his, in my ear, Simon. Nick, he's playing with us. I don't know what to tell you. I do think the music in it is absolutely fantastic, and I think that's one of the things that people always really remember. Is yeah, the theme me tune. too. But even the incidental music, he does a lot of the work. Oh he's, yes, he's a massive talent, Simon. Simon May, and it's why he was the most prolific composer of that era. And oh. I'd love to know if he's still doing stuff now. Because if I'm you sure did, uh, if only there was some way of finding out these. <laughs> Damn it! I'll have to use the internet. Um, if um, yeah, if you ever wanted to do a podcast about El Dorado, oh god, you won't yes. find that many takers, but I'd be one of them. <laughs> All right, so that's. We'll book that in. And he did do the theme music for El Dorado, which I think owes a lot to Howard's Way, actually. Oh, God, so much. In its yeah. glamour. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I remember how angry I was when they axed Wogan and replaced it with El Dorado. Yeah. I've never been more angry. I mean, Wogan was, was my... Was it Michael Grade? Was it Michael Grade when he was axing Doctor well, Who and he was basically taking possibly. a size to... He was a new broom. ...all these beloved things? Yeah. I did try and watch El Dorado. I loved El Dorado. I don't know if I watched all of it. There was nothing else to do. It was, what is it, 7 o'clock at this night? There's also, literally nothing to do. You know, I'm do. saying Catherine's dad let her watch Howard's Way because it was about sailing weather, but this is what you realise when you're watching telly <laughs> from the 80s. It's just like, there was, what, what were your options? This is I mean, what I, was on. I don't know what was on ITV on a Sunday night, but uh, BBC Sunday night, haven't done my homework yet, getting in a bit of a panic. All Creatures Great and Small, Howard's Way, oh, yeah, That's yeah. Life. Mm. It was just a con... BBC, I mean, I suppose to a certain extent they still do in terrestrial terms, but they just owned yeah. that slot, didn't they? Absolutely. It was all about disengaging your brain for an hour and going somewhere more glamorous than your own home. It's like we've abandoned this idea that you can do... There's not a lot of sort of affluent soap anymore. The Americans have always been really happy to put money up there. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when you think about things like, you know, almost anything apart from Roseanne, they're always really wealthy. The Cosbys, you know, not just Dallas and Dynasty, but even their basic soaps and sitcoms. Well, their houses are always massive. When you watch Home Alone, (laughs) they live in basically Downton Abbey. They they live in a huge mansion. And and in America, you don't even need to make reference to it because that is just the culture. We make programmes about rich people. Where in this country, there's always a sort of, well, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to justify it or apologise for it. And Howard's Way, it seems crazy that I'm saying this, but Howard's Way does not apologise no, and no, it. it doesn't. I think it's undercut, yeah. as Triangle was. Now, was Triangle the same guy who, who came up with Howard's Way? No, it wasn't. It, it's always thought of as, as uh, in the same Spiritual. breath because Kate O'Mara, who has yes, yet to course. join the cast of Howard's yeah. Way as we're yeah, yeah. following it, she was in both. And both involve, I guess, you know, sort of sunbathing on very, very that, blustery, well, cold well, that's it. ships. And I think that, that's what I was going <laughs> to say, is that Howard's Way, like Triangle, the undercutting of that glamour, it's not in there in the script, but it absolutely is there in every exterior shot, <laughs> yes. which is, you know, there's a bit in this episode where, where Leo goes, I'm just going to go for a walk on the beach, <laughs> which is completely clunky. And you know that Abby is at the beach already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we so haven't got there yet, but yeah. You are yeah. aware of why he's, you know, it's yeah. necessary in plot terms for him to go to the beach. But when he's doing it, you go, oh, yeah, if you live by the sea, you would just say, I'm going to go for a walk. <laughs> so show him walking on the beach. <laughs> and it's like, you know, Freezing some of that cold. footage of the show when it's Britain's hurricane, <laughs> Edna's just hit. You know, Leo's walking on the beach and it looks so horrible. Yeah, the seawall being lashed. It's never, by... 
got that Wait. kind of coastal glamour that actually you want it to be. Shipyards and like Ken Masters' office and places like that, they're just not that glamorous. Oh no, they? you imagine they, they all smell a bit damp and they're not very interesting and they, they drink instant coffee out of mugs and that's about it. It's just, no, there's nothing going on there. In fact, quite often I've realised now, watching this back, Jan is almost always, if she's not making pasta bake at home in the kitchen, she's making instant coffee for Ken over and over again. Black <laughs> coffee in a mug, over yeah, and over again. Of course he takes it black. <laughs> I mean, of course he takes it black. <laughs> yes, he would naturally. do, that's a good character note. Yeah, no, no, they all drink exactly what they should be drinking. But I would say about Jan that she is the one character, she always looks great. Uh, Jan and her mom are going for a walk oh, at the race course. Yes, Goodwood, Goodwood. <laughs> is it Goodwood? It is, yeah. Right, yeah. I'm, not, I don't, uh, I'm not good at identifying race I believe race it's near Chichester, or at least it is in Houseway. Okay, well, that so, makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she's wearing some kind of absolutely colossal mohair cardigan. <laughs> That's I mean, right, over her mushroom huge. ensemble. <laughs> yeah, kind of slack things sort of, yeah. yeah, mushroom ensemble. Massive shoulder pads and... Catherine said to me she must be tiny because she's wearing those clothes and yet she doesn't look enormous. No, no, no. She actually does look, even uh, with 33 years of hindsight, she looks pretty good. She looks amazing. She She looks great. She favours a slack, Jan. She's always some kind of fashion slack. Woman. Yes, exactly. And she's not just going to be making pasta bake now, thank you very much. She's going to be an entrepreneur of some kind. I should damn well think so. Mm -hmm. Anyway, to get back to the plot, because we just have to gallop through this now, this is where we properly meet Abby. So Abby is the rather depressed daughter. Polly and and Gerald. She's been in Switzerland at finishing school, which again is such an ancient concept now. So Leo has offered to take Abby, who is also unwilling to go to this party, but he's offered to take her to this party at their friend Julia's house. This is um, (laughs) is when you get the metaphor that I mentioned earlier. This is is that Leo goes around to Abby's parents' house and she arrives at the door holding a drink. Polly, she's the most extraordinary character. She is. I mean, she is very, very Miss Babs. Oh, yes, I mean, completely. her scenes are very, very acorn. Oh, she, and she, she camps it up. She enjoys she's absolutely Celia Immering it all the way. Yeah. But she actually, she, she says, she encourages Leo to take Abby out. Uh, and Leo, of course, because he's wet Leo, just basically says, yeah, fine. And she says, if you could just get her launched. That's <laughs> what she says. And then she says, oh, even our metaphors are nautical. But the idea of, yes, could you just get her, could you just break the ice with Shove her? Shove her down the slip of, They despair yeah. of the fact that Smash basically <laughs> she's normal. Yeah. Smash some champagne over her over her snout and send her yeah. off down the slipway. Poor old Abby and she comes downstairs wearing oh. like a meringue and a blue skirt. Which actually you see her mum buying for her um, in a previous episode. Do you? She forces her to have oh, a whole new wardrobe. Oh, that makes sense because she even looks she doesn't so want awful. She's, she's effectively in a ball and gown. I'm, never, yeah. I'm not sure there's ever been a more miserable character depicted on she's screen so, and I've seen no. some harrowing films <laughs> in my time and yet I don't think anyone has ever been as unhappy as Abby. Do you think what, even like in a Ken Loach film? Nobody yeah, I'm, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I've seen people on the bread line. I've seen people starving in civil war, you know, really, Jeez. really. But Abby... She couldn't be more miserable. It's heart-rending. Yeah, that's no, horrible. She doesn't like any part. She doesn't like people. She doesn't like being a person. And even Leo said to, to another character, he says something about, Abby's not really my type. I mean, she's basically <laughs> so low on the totem pole that she's <laughs> even down on Aww. the egg with two moles. But to start off with, even Leo thinks she's a lost cause. Well, he does, but he's willing to at least give her some time. And then on the way to the party, she just effectively says, drop me off, I don't want to go. Let me out of this mini metro. I know. It's his, it's his mum's mini metro as well. It's not, oh, I know. He doesn't own his own. We'll be coming to the mini um, metro. Yeah, and, but so they drive 
down to the Jolly Sailor, which is the pub in Tarrant. It's the only one we ever see them drinking yeah, in. Yeah. Um, it's that or the Yacht Club. That's, just, that's your two choices. Yes, that would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, well, the Boise owns the local garage, so, you know, why not? What? Did you not notice that? So Leo works at a local filling station because yes. he decided to get a job just to keep the money coming Basically, in. once they've sold the fish, all the kids... All hands on, all hands on know, deck. Leo goes... Oh, get away from it. Leo feels yeah. like he has to get a job and he goes and gets one at the filling station. Yeah. And, and Lynn, she gets the job as a barmaid, which Tom is not happy about. Well, no, he's not. He basically, you know, you know it's, it's borderline, you've become a prostitute Pretty by much. being a barmaid. And the first time she goes to work there, she dresses like a prostitute. Her nipples were, I mean, apparently that was a thing in the 80s, like loose fabrics with I nipples. I need to be somewhere through. where I can get some crewing. <laughs> And then, yeah, wonders why she gets the attention she does. Well, I'm not saying she deserves it, but my God, put your nipples away, woman. Um, it reminded me of the mermaid in the, uh, in the um, opening. Anyway, so we've left Leo and Abby in the Jolly Sailor. So they, uh, they're sitting outside freezing, as they, people always are, when they sit in the what garden of the plans? Jolly Sailor. My mum wants me to go <laughs> to do a cordon bleu course. That was, <laughs> which, that's the other thing. Which again? Like, cordon, not cordon bleu. I mean, what, it's just like one of those phrases from the 80s. Yeah. And he says, you know, is that because you want to be a chef? And she just says, no. I don't know. But my mum thinks it will get me into the social set or something. Yeah. It'll be an entree into yeah. the Poor social Abby. set. She, so she is miserable. Polly is unrealistically... I mean, Polly's she's drunk. She's drunk and she's we'll flailing. Out. We'll come to find out why Polly's perpetually oh drunk God. in the future. We will. And oh, it's, wow. Will it's, we a, ever? it's a sorrowful tale. But Polly is, meanwhile, making lunch plans. There's a lovely scene of her uh, kind of lying on a chaise, <laughs> yes. I think, with a brandy balloon. Miss Babs, yeah. She has a, bla- a brandy balloon and she's on the phone having a, a simply lovely conversation with an unseen man who's not her husband yeah. about how, what a coincidence, he wants to use the Pied-a-Terre in town the same day that she's there shopping. How marvellous. There are two is. bedrooms. <laughs> there are two bedrooms, if required. That's right. <laughs> she's obviously playing an affair. If required. No, her Pied-a-Terre is in London. So the only right, other okay. time that characters leave Tarrant initially, I mean, they do, they, they end up in Malta and all kinds of places in later mm-hmm. series. In the beginning, Tarrant is a very much a sealed universe. You can drive to Chichester, but only in a, yeah. a couple of sanctioned places. Yeah. Or you can get to to the train station, which is a two-hour direct journey into London. You can do stuff in London, but you must come straight travel. back. This is good travelling, info, thank you. Yeah, but I, I don't have the timetable to hand. Can we talk um, about... Uh, it was a commuter get... town, effectively. People lived in Tarrant and worked in London. You're starting to sound like it's real. What do you, what do you mean it's not real, mate? One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We're almost at this point in the plot anyway, but uh, of course the reason why Chichester has come up a couple of times is because one of the subplots in this episode is that there's some confusion about exactly who has bought the flying fish. Yeah. Now, one of the things that really struck me yeah. about watching just this standalone episode from the first series of Howard's Ways, everything came flooding back. Is that I, you know, I remembered so much about what was to come and what it was like, and you know, it really does sit there at the back of my brain. It turns out it's just there. I'm so it's, glad. It's, it's all, it's all accessible. I think it's informed and, who we are as people is, more than you realise. I can't remember oh. who bought the flying fish. Oh, now, obviously, I've got lots of this. It's not quite who shot JR, is it, in terms of plot points? I don't know. But don't Avril know. has a conversation on the telephone earlier on where she goes, it's OK. He thinks it's another sailor on the East Coast. He thinks it's been sold to Burnham on Crouch. <laughs> she says this like Burnham on Crouch, which is a lovely... I've heard it's lovely. Seaside town in Essex. Yeah. You know, she says it like it's basically the worst place on earth. <laughs> But no one would ever think. Yeah. Of, meanwhile, they Tom, certainly won't leave Tarrant to go to Burnham on Crouch. It's not even in Tarrant. Oh God, no. <laughs> no, no. It's a real place for start. You know. Yeah. But Tom finds some paperwork that's being sent to the owner of the flying fish. Yes. That's addressed to someone, and it's not addressed to Burnham on Crouch. It's addressed to Chichester. Uh-huh. So he damn well gets in his car. With it's him. a jag, isn't it? He well, he must have been one of uh, Southern Aviation's top designers you because uh, I think technically, he, yeah. and people may be able to correct on this. I think it may have been a Daimler. Oh, it looked really? the same in the 80s, but they either had the little Jaguar. It's a very handsome car. 1985, one of the things I'm very into is Howard's Way. The other thing is cars. OK, interesting. I've all got right. over it now because I'm a grown-up. OK. Not all men do, but no. there you go. But well. I was obsessed with Hence cars in 1985, so yeah. I knew all about all the different kinds of cars. But he drives out to Chichester, and that's one of the cliffhangers at the end. Mm. Is He knocks on Absolutely. he knocks on the door, and a, a woman comes to the door, and he says, I'm, I'm looking for John flying fish owner or whatever <laughs> and she says oh uh, it's, he's out it's and he goes, James can I Deverell. talk to him he's just born so it's James Deverell can you please use the correct name carry on it's such a Howard's Way name as well as <laughs> Deverell Completely. they're never called Robinson or no. Smith or Brown Deverell and so he says uh, he's bought my boat she goes he doesn't even sail she no says, he doesn't even like sailing in yeah. Howard's Way terms you're dead <laughs> he might as well not be alive to me. I mean <laughs> I'm surprised Tom doesn't spit in her face at that point but that's like the cliffhanger is well hang on if he's not bought the boat, then who? who the bloody hell has? Yeah, he's acting as an agent for someone. An agent for who? You'll have to wait and see. At this point, I have to ask you, are you now it's on YouTube, are you going to watch the rest of it? Are you going to watch the next one? Yeah, but I think fish? we've got them on DVD anyway. Oh, of course you have. How could I not have known I think, this? I think, think we have anyway. Yeah. I have my theories about characters who we haven't met yet who may be... Uh, well, may yes, be... I know. That's interesting. Yes, but so in, did I. But, in, but in normally in, in terms of these kind of things, in a whodunit, you normally have already met the character who's responsible. So I don't, I'm just going to say I'm just com- I'm confused. Wait and see. I'm... So back in Tarrant, there's a brief scene where Jack probes Avril trying to find out what happened in London because she's been in London for five years She's back in Tarrant now and she's helping him run Didn't the mermaid boat ride. Man then? She had some kind of love uh-huh, thing. Uh-huh. She has come home clearly not too happy and he's just trying to find out what went on. But she's not yet willing to say what happened, only that, yes, there was a man and now it's over and can we move on, please? What we've had before that pub scene is that Tom's turned up at the mermaid boatyard at 8 o'clock <laughs> because uh, yeah. he's keen to get on with yeah. things. And Jack's not there. Jack's never there Jack at 8 o'clock. Jack just basically turns up at like 11 o'clock and he goes, yeah. sorry, I had to go to a prospective 
relative buyer had to be in some fictional town at, he at was 10 a.m. And it's uh, it's brilliant. He's just nursing a hangover as ever. Always nursing. Um, but uh, they end up having a conversation in the pub where he says, "It turned up at uh, eight o'clock this morning." Eager Ruddy Beaver, which was my <laughs> my favourite phrase that anybody else did in the whole thing it's was great. "Eager Ruddy Beaver," which I, I'm now going to always say about anyone who's keen. It's lovely. There are, there are lots of those. There's also a meeting of a character I'd forgotten when Tom comes to the boatyard to get cracking and yeah. starts sort of nosing around as Jack puts it. I know what you're he meets Davinda, Davy. I love that. There's, again, it's just this brilliant capsule of 80s attitudes yep. towards race. Yeah. Where Davinda, uh, Tom says to him, Who are you? Or whatever. And he goes, I'm Davinda, but everybody around here calls me Davy. And Tom goes, <laughs> OK, Davy, well, I'll see you later. And you just think, No. <laughs> what? That is such an 80s attitude. Yeah. Nowadays, yeah. if somebody says, my name's Davinda, everyone calls me David. I like to think that I would go, oh, OK, well, I'm going to call you, you Davinda. <laughs> because everybody else at this room at Boatyard is a racist for saying that they can't pronounce your name, you poor man. I'm going to call you Davinda. Tom doesn't. Tom just goes, OK, Davey. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, that's all right. And you see later on uh, the, some of the attitudes he has to deal with working in a fairly unreconstructed really? workplace with some old, good old boys from the Boatyard who aren't so very... They're, they're not very really? nice. Really, does it explore racism? It does a little bit. Episodes, it, it's, well, it touches on it. I'm not saying they make it a big focus of the episode, but it's again, it's another thing they didn't have to include because at the time people weren't well, really thinking about that too no. much as something they had to change. Or I, I, I'll be honest, you know, I'm surprised when an Asian character anyway. even turned up. No, no, me in too. 1985. Yeah, it's, completely. It's actually as about as liberated as you get as, as you got in those days because there's also quite an interesting conversation about feminism between Tom and Avril, which is used effectively as a flirtation exercise. Well, we had isn't this it? conversation earlier. I just bought you lunch. I know. And we had this conversation. And you insisted earlier. on paying. Well, yeah, because you know, favour for a favour. That's exactly. This, we went to a pub, and it was just like it was just like that scene. It was exactly just like the same. I was Tom. It was amazing. And you were Avril. <laughs> and uh, and she basically says, "No, did she say we've got to go halves?" She insists on going because they're they're work colleagues. She's like, "Always go yes, halves with work. my work colleagues." It's work exactly, yeah. which I didn't. No. I just went okay. Yeah, that was a he, test, Nick. You failed. God. <laughs> and then he says something like, "He, he basically says you must be a feminist." Yes. And she says something like, well, I wouldn't go that far. And, of course, the awful thing is... No one would have gone the, that the, far The awful thing is, you know that actually that's probably what Theresa May would say now. <laughs> yes, Certainly what David Cameron would have said it's, when it's, everyone it's would say, what, are you a feminist? He's just like, well, I wouldn't go that far. That's just, exactly what Donald Trump did say. Just, uh, think, just how, in, in, how far yeah. is that? It's not yeah. very far, really, is I don't, it? I, don't, I wouldn't say I want equality for men and women. But what's, what's Tom's <laughs> attitude at that point? Because clearly it is being sold at the idea that he's attracted to the idea that she is actually an independent woman but then he doesn't like the fact that his wife is becoming a very independent oh, woman men. he didn't, doesn't really like the idea of his wife working full time oh, doesn't really like the idea doesn't of, like her... the, of his daughter being a barmaid no. but when he's actually presented with a competent intelligent woman yeah. in the workplace mm-hmm. then suddenly it's ka-ching well exactly I don't know double standards and I yet call you it. still find this man attractive <laughs> well I'm not, I'm not saying he hasn't got his flaws Nick but I'm just saying I, I want acting is one of his flaws <laughs> No, it's not. We need to talk about this at some point. I just don't, I just don't think you're right. I'm He's sorry. He's a very, very bad actor. He's not a bad actor. And one of the things that's interesting it's about watching it It's a different style of acting. A lot of them must have done it's a lot of rep. Yes, it's definitely and there's a different And there's some theatricality to some of the performances. But not I, him. I think he's really naturalistic. Well, he's not theatrical. That's true. 
the bar is more theatrical than Morris Coleman's performances. I think what's interesting, actually, is that when you watch something when you're a kid and then when you watch it again when you're an adult, the way I felt about their acting styles was actually quite different. Was I remember as a kid, I knew that Tom was crap, and he is crap. He's not. And we're just going to have to leave well, it there as a different stop, opinion. Stop saying it. It's but my podcast. I remember as a kid, I thought Jack Rolfe... Glyn, Glyn Owens. Owens yes. Rolfe, I knew that... I remember thinking that he was not necessarily a good actor I remember thinking that he was slightly cheesy yeah. and actually when I watched it last night I think he's one of the best things in it yeah, I think no, he's he, great he's, I, well, I think they're all terrific to be perfectly honest well that's but... clearly not, there's, there's, a, there's a spectrum <laughs> okay fine there's a spectrum but they're all what I like and this is going to cut right to the heart of Howard's Way okay. is that I was thinking before I did the podcast today I feel similar about Howard's Way to how I feel about Barry Manilow oh which is that you start out liking something in a kind of ironic, slightly slightly sneery way. Okay. And then you find that actually you're enjoying it and you, you get confused about <laughs> where the enjoying it because it's bad stops and where the enjoying it because you enjoy it starts. Okay, yeah. So now I think about Barry Manilow, and I'm allowed to because I'm 45, I don't have to <laughs> pretend to be cool anymore, but I really love Barry Manilow's songs. I love them. And it I is... think that's how I feel about Howard's Way is that unquestionably, a lot of it is really shonky. And yet I don't think that I only enjoy it because it's bad. I think I do enjoy it on its own merits as well. I don't think, one, I don't think it's bad. And two, I think a lot of people, when I've talked to them about doing this podcast and watching the show again, have come away from it going, God, it was it, it was not the show I thought it was. It's, it's, it's a, also about... a different programme to the one that most people the way they do, remember. You know, the way that kind of television is made. It is a soap. And so what is important is about engaging you constantly and moving you forward. Yeah. And you always want to know what's going to happen next. That's true. And it's you an always want to know what's happening to each individual character. Page so turner. I might think that Abby is so miserable that I can't be bothered with her. And I might think Leo is a, a an wet. egg with moles who's yeah. really wet. Yeah. But I do want to know what's going to happen to Leo and Abby. See? I am completely engaged. Well, I'm just saying you should maybe take another look at it. That's why I'm here. Good. They've I'm just gone. Saying, I'm just They've saying, gone, those prejudices. I'm just saying don't stop there. Keep watching. It's actually very you good. You just want me to love Morris Colbin's performances. Oh, look, I realise that that's Which not going to happen, but that's, ne- that's never going to be Fine. in a proper, okay. he's a great actor uh, way. Just, let's just not talk about it anymore because he I'm getting upset. He is handsome, though. He's gorgeous. So <laughs> we, we return to Boise's Garage. Yeah, that's a long time ago in this podcast, but you're right. I did ask you about that and never let you answer. This must have just predated Only Fools, Only Fools and Horses by Which would have been on months. by now, but would presumably it Boise just wasn't in it yet. Oh, I don't know, possibly not. He runs the garage anyway, and this did is... Did you see him in this episode? Yeah, you did. Did he just not have a moustache, so I didn't recognise yeah, him? Yeah, I think that's right, yeah. Disguise. <laughs> it's not really disguise, not having a moustache. Well, anyway, stop talking. This is at Boise's garage where we finally meet Dulcie Gray. This is her first appearance. It's a brilliant character. Two so she's got a Morris Traveller. It's the car of my dreams. I've always wanted a Morris Traveller yeah, yeah. with a kind of t- oak timber frame yeah, yeah, yeah. and the green panelling. It's so yeah. beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's a heritage vehicle She's of Marple, really, isn't she? She's Miss Marple. She's wearing a little tweed hat and, and she literally says, without irony, when she realises it's Leo who's filling up the car for her, yeah. what the dickens are you doing she here? She does. And Dulcie Gray um, is another character who has a unique performance style that I really enjoy. Oh, God, it's just she's lovely. Great. She really does speak like this the whole time. It's beautiful. She's basically a a character from 30 or 40 years previously. Yes, she is. It's it's so comforting. And I think the older characters in this, they do provide so much. I mean, there's a lot of humour. She she later is going to become friends as one of the other characters. And so there's going to be loads of comedy from that. There's some great stuff there. But I think it's a really nice, it's a proper star entrance. And actually, Dulcie Gray would have been to that 
audience yep. a name. A really That's also name. when you realise how long ago it is. I'm not saying it's, it feels recent. It's our era, if you like. Yeah. And yet these characters turn out like Dulcie Grey. She's from the 1940s, and it's suddenly like... Wow, this is a long time ago. She, I love um, her. She gets another wonderful scene, my favourite scene in the whole episode, with Jan, where they go walking uh, at the race course. So she's very good for maternal advice, and when Jan is having yeah. trouble at home, she goes to her mum and, and gets well, I, some sage advice. I need to run... Uh, but, but what about the house? You know, it's not, I need to take care of the kids, or no, I, need to take no, care no, of no. I need to take care of the house. Who's going to make the main um, meal? Yeah. <laughs> the main meal. <laughs> the main meal. <laughs> and Dulcie Grace as well. I shall, I shall come round and do that for you. Which is incredible. And you think, oh, great. She's like How their housekeeper. No, it's completely bonkers. But the best, the, the, the most amazing thing about that scene is it's so windy. I mean, it's phenomenally windy. Yeah. And yet you don't hear a whisper of it. They very, very clearly <laughs> had to write off the whole scene as a bad loss <laughs> audio incredible, isn't it? And had to go into a studio in Soho and lay down that entire yeah. track. And it still happens that with an exterior shoot, you would normally expect to probably have yeah. to do some ADR. Yeah. But you would put a little bit of wind on in the background. <laughs> it's, it's basically like they're in a soundproof room, sounding like they're on Radio it's 4. So, it's while so the, quiet. This gale howls around them while the mohair car and is flapping behind Jan like <laughs> Superman's cape. So on the one hand, there's this terrible technical guff yeah, of the scene. Yeah. But actually, it's quite a nice scene. I think there was a lot of that in TV. We weren't all so savvy and aware of no. how a programme's made, what to expect from an, ex- an interior scene and an exterior scene, the different grades of films. Yeah. I, I don't think I noticed any of it back no, then. No, I don't, and, don't think we know, did. And they, do, they do a pretty now good Now we're just a bit more savvy, I think. Miming it to the lips, but it's just the, lack of, it's just the lack of wind. It was really funny, I have to say. I did, did really enjoy that. Um, there's a really crucial scene not long after this where Jan is in Ken's office and obviously in fury at Tom's uh, disregard for her feelings and and her opinions she has marched into Ken's office having talked to her mum got her advice and has taken a full time position with him which is on two levels going to be really bad for Tom because one no wife of mine is going to work full time that's out the window and two obviously he knows that Ken is a slimy sleazy so and so who is going to get in there given half a chance it's actually a long wait if, if, like me, you haven't watched Howard's Way for a while and, and you're just jumping in at episode three, oh, yeah. it's quite a long wait in that episode for oh, Ken to arrive. They dance for months yeah. yet. And when, <laughs> when Ken arrives, yeah. it was a real, for me at least, it was a real moment because Ken's really everything that Howard's Way is about. Oh, yeah. And this is another thing that, as an adult, it just leapt off the screen to me, is that Stephen Yardley is really good he's brilliant he's really good suddenly he's saying lines and you're thinking have they got a different dialogue person in for this and it's actually just that he's really really good and he stands up and he's just a streak of nothing he's just a string bean in a button down collar he's slim and yeah, um, balding he is famous not famously but famously in our household my wife really fancies Ken Masters <laughs> did when she's a child still does still, when she's an still, adult still there now obviously that's a bit upsetting to you as a husband also it's upsetting to me because I, I really couldn't be further away from If anyone wants to know that Nick doesn't look like Ken I Masters really, at all. anyone on earth that I don't look like. He's got the most thick, luxuriant hair you've ever I seen. I have, not <laughs> yeah. Ken Masters. Yeah. No, 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 no. And uh, watching this episode last night, I, I know why. 
Really? Did you start to feel stirrings? He's just really, really charismatic. He is. He always also, seems to have. I'm going to, I'm going to say it again. He's got his hand on the tiller firmly of life. Hasn't he's got he? his hand on Jan's tiller. Well, is where he's got I, his I, hand. Think, I think he'd like to. But the, the other thing is, is that although Tom is clearly looks like a nice guy, even though all his actions, if you actually dig down on, are pretty selfish. He just doesn't. But Ken think, also, yeah. you know, I remembered Ken from the arc of the whole series or whatever as being yeah. the the sleazy guy. But actually, when he's talking to Jan, I mean, I'd have an affair with him. He's far <laughs> more supportive of her than well, Tom is. Well, he is. I mean, he knows. It's not just that he's saying, you're a bit of all right, do you want to go upstairs? No. He's actually saying to her, I think you're brilliant. Yeah. I think you're clever. I think you're sharp. I, you know, because the, the arc of this episode for Jan is she's umming and ahhing about whether she's going to take on Ken's offer of full... All, he, all he's saying is, do you want to go from part-time to full-time? <laughs> it's not that big a deal. No, they no, make no, it sound like he's going, she's going from being a waitress to being a CEO. She's only adding a few hours. Well, she is, but she's also going to have the running of a new kind yeah. of sailing emporium that he wants to open, selling all manner of yachting equipment, oh, clothing. God. Chandlery. Cleats. Is that a thing? I don't know, probably. Probably. So he's already got a chandlery. I don't know what this is that's different, but he wants to open some kind of high-class yachting Oh, my boutique. God, he's got ambition. And she is the one he wants to go and scout yeah. out the market and so buy the stock. So you compare the two of them. And, Tom's yeah. saying, I want to do something bigger with my life. Yeah. So I'm going to do it on my own. Ken's I, saying, yeah. I want to do something bigger and I want you to take charge of it. Very seductive, Fair play, Ken. I know, I know. He's not called Masters for nothing, is he? <laughs> no, These no, no, These names no, no. aren't accidental. Oh, that was deliberate. That's almost chore serious. It's isn't no it? surprise, really, that they're a couple in real life <laughs> yeah. to this day. I know. I don't just see how it? you'd fall in love with the sea and the gale blowing through your well, hair. There's no sea there when Pebble Mill, as discussed, but yeah. No, they get down to the river. I don't think Ken gets an exterior scene in this episode. Not in this one, no. But I mean, boy, there'll others. be some to come. Oh, He's gosh. a speedboat man as well, isn't he? Rather than a yachter. The speedboats are coming. Yeah, there's definitely a. Although, interestingly, in real life, Stephen split. Yardley was the only member of the cast when they all started the job that was mad keen on sailing, and he never got to sail in the show. Oh, my God, that is a golden nugget you've just done I know, for me. I Are you know. telling me that Jack Rolfe had never set foot on a boatyard before? Well, I don't know about that, but none of the rest of the cast were that bothered about sailing until so, they started the job. And actually, suddenly those, I'm reappraising those performances. Some of them obviously learned to sail for the show and got bitten by the bug. Daniel Day-Lewis style. Exactly. They went and learned how I'm, to I'm nail. sure that's how it was. <laughs> you get a foreshadowing at the beginning of the, in the shipyard, don't you? Jack and Bill are talking about wood and varnish and oh, all that kind yes, of stuff. And yeah. you know that Tom made the flying fish out of fibreglass and steel. Which is a dirty word oh, in yeah. Jack's boatyard. But, but it's, it's that's not his... It's not coming. His, yep, it Here is. Here comes the 1990s. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we return to... We've, we've seen, um, obviously, Kate and Jan having their heart-to-heart on uh, yeah. uh, on the race course. The, the, the mysteriously silent galloping of horses, uh, notwithstanding. Yeah, yeah. And Lynn, meanwhile, is trying to forge her own path towards... If she can't sail her own boat, she's rather spoiled. I can't have my own yacht, so I'm going to sail somebody yeah. else's. If you'll pardon my uh, swearing here, yeah. Lynn has the give-a-shit storyline in this episode, <laughs> doesn't she? Sadly, I mean, she, she really yes, does. Yes. Everybody gets... Decent story, like except Lynn, who's basically like, I just want you sold the fish, and I just want to find some crewing. So Jan is going to become a woman of work. Yeah, Lynn's sort of going through the motions of that, but really she's not. Sisters doing, are doing it for she, themselves. She rinses a few glasses. Meanwhile, Kate is then coming to fill the domestic void at the Howards' home. It's hilarious when she cooks the meals; she serves them up a Chinese banquet. <laughs> 
Does she? Spare ribs, beef and oyster sauce. Wow. She's really just so she's decided to go looking. all out. Yeah, no, she's, she's global before. She's an internationalist. She's quite a modern woman. Yeah. So everyone appears to be pointing in different directions. Now, the family was a very close unit in the first episode. Yeah. They are now all outward facing and doing their own it's all thing. all splintering. Which like, is, you like know, a timber. I guess, well, that's very beautiful. <laughs> yeah, like a ship's timber. Yeah. Mm, like some flotsam in there. Is it flotsam or jetsam? One of them's going away and one of them's coming back, isn't it? I don't know. Oh, is that right? Is I that the so. difference? I think so. Oh, well, you know what I mean, anyway. Tom still doesn't know who bought the fish. He's trying to make an investigation into that. And then there's a really nice scene of Jack and Billa and the Jolly Sailor and they're talking about how they're both starting to take the hump with Tom a bit. Oh, yeah. He's interfering. Eager ruddy beaver. <laughs> He's an eager ruddy beaver. And Bill says, next thing you know, he'll want to change the yard. Run it by computer is like it's not. <laughs> Which is a very And you know it'll be a computer <laughs> with a black screen and green letters and numbers. I always liked the fact yeah. that there was an easy route into knowing what a character was like in the 80s on TV. Oh, yeah. Which was that men... Men drank beer, yeah. so Tom has a pint of beer when he goes for lunch oh, yes. with Avril. Mm. Women always have gin and tonic, there's no other option. Or a white wine in a very slim flute. That's right, like Remember a champagne flute. small yeah. portions of white wine, yeah. Um, unless you are a businessman yeah. or someone who thinks they're a businessman, in which case you have a scotch. But it comes in, but you call it a scotch, it's never whiskey. Never whiskey, no. And it comes in one of those glasses that has a stem like a wine glass. Oh, you know, So yes. if you're having whiskey at home now, you, most people would probably have it in some kind of tumbler. A chunky-based But, you tumbler. know, the reason that I said that's like shorthand in the 80s because I remember that in Corrie at the time, Coronation Street, in the golden era of Coronation Street when I used to watch it in the 80s when it was Bette Lynch yeah. and Rita and all those kind of characters. The best. Mike Baldwin always had Scotch. And he was the only person in Coronation, you know, everyone else would go in and say that classic soap opera line, I'll have my usual, so they didn't have to, you know, say I'll no, have a... No, no brands, you know, yeah. No brands. Mike Baldwin would always go and have a scotch and that was the difference between him and yeah. Ken Barlow you see Ken boring beer Obviously. Mike sexy scotch yeah. and in this it's Jack who drinks scotch yes I'm a scotch a scotch and then a cigar a large, really... and you're right it would always be if you're celebrating it would be make it a large one yeah you know, never a double. They're not talking about measures. And they really weren't into ice in their drinks in the 80s either. Hot drinks, cold drinks. They didn't have the ability no to make loads of ice, did they? So they just no. didn't have it. Well, Americans still say that, don't they? The, the things yeah. that Americans say about the British is Warm one, the teeth, which is yeah. obviously really annoying. <laughs> and the other one is can't get ice in this country. Yeah, that's actually not true. You can in my My mum and dad, actually, in their defence... They would have, you know, a bit of Gordon's gin. A slice. A um, bit of flat Schweppes. Yeah, flat Schweppes. Slice of lemon from a jar of lemons, Ooh. of lemon slices. Okay. God knows what that tasted like. Yeah. And I think one cube of ice, maybe two if you're really pushing about. Yeah, but don't go mad. Just makes no difference. Well, my my mum and dad, I don't know where my mum must have seen this in the Reader's Digest or something, uh, they used to slice up lemons into, you know, those half-moon segments. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then wrap them each individually in cling film and wow. freeze them. No way. So that you could just simply drop a frozen slice of lemon into your drink, Bob's that your uncle. That would change no... Two birds, one stone. It that wouldn't would change the temperature change the at temperature. all. But it's, they felt like they were winning at life. <laughs> it's like if you had four ice cubes or five ice cubes, that that's somehow really, really decadent. It's so louche. But yeah, no, it, it, the 80s, it, it was all tepid. When you've got one ice cube tray... You can't really go for more than one or two, otherwise you're just going to run out. And also ice cube trays in that era. It was really exceptionally difficult yeah. to get ice out of the ice cube tray Incredibly without boiling hard. a kettle and pouring it over the back. <laughs> yes. So who could be bothered? <laughs> no one. It's so much easier these you days. We spend so long talking about ice. I know. One of my relatives now has got one of those fridges that dispenses ice from like a noisy tap well, in its middle. that's a dream, And I'm not, I'm not ever going to get one. But it's like, I think that's too luxurious. It's like having one of those boiling water taps. No. I don't like that. I know, I just hurt myself on that. Also, that's that seems good. like... Is is there constantly a kettle underneath the sink? <laughs> 
<laughs> constantly boiling. Is that how it works? It can't be energy efficient. So we we return to now the the episode is becoming more focused now towards towards the extraordinarily dramatic finale. The very dramatic duff duff moment, which obviously you can't really call it because it's not in EastEnders, but you know what I mean. It's Simon. Um, so Polly can't find Abby. Abby has disappeared. Polly is clutching a gin as per. I think she has ice. I think she's one of those people who would demand it. She looks like the kind of deviant who would have ice. Well, I think so. I mean, she, she's having affairs. She's probably got ice cubes. Let's yeah. face it. Abby, meanwhile, we know is staring out to sea, looking very sad. There are tears in her eyes. And suddenly, for me, it came rushing back. I didn't all the way through the episode. I couldn't yeah. remember what was going on. Well, she'd even had though this... we'd had these foreshadowings. I know a friend of mine at finishing well, school. Well, this is the conversation got with pregnant. Lynn. Yeah. yeah, and she's talking about her friend yeah. who had no friends. Yes. Oh, except for me. She of didn't have anyone to talk to, and she didn't know what yeah. to do. And even then, nothing was clicking with me because I'm and, a moron. But about that, and ni- neither with Lynn, who's looking at a boat over there, going, oh, "I wonder who owns that. I want to go on the boat." One. It's like she can't <laughs> think about she? anything else apart from bloody boats. Abby's staring out to sea. Lynn and Leo, mean, meanwhile, have a kind of row when he drops her off at the yacht club for her, her oh, shift. Yeah. Can I he just drops her off on the motorbike. This go is on. another of my favourite phrases. I think I know what you're going to say, but go on, I'll let you say it. Because Lynn basically is happy-go-lucky. She is. And Leo, we've learned at this point, takes things very seriously. He believes in things. All I wrote down was this. I wrote, things Leo cares about according to Lynn. Foxes, fallout, free, free range eggs. <laughs> All the Fs. <laughs> Catherine went to me, fallout. And I was, and we were like, oh, yeah. CND badge. Nuclear fallout. We know who Leo is. But I like that as a, as a bit of writing. I like the, I like oh, the alliteration. Yeah. I like everything about it. He has a CND pin. He has um, a Greenpeace T-shirt. He also has a League Against Cruel Sports T-shirt. Does he have a riposte to that? Does he say something like, what's wrong with that? Because Pro- probably Probably. I, I don't he rides he... a motorbike, which is, you know, that's the attempt to sex him up a bit. Yeah, he has a leather jacket and a motorbike. So mm. they're still trying to get the teens, you know, interested a bit. And perhaps, I can't remember if I did think he was lovely or not I don't think I was of an age to really mm-hmm. see that in him uh, but I mean he's really asexual he, well yes he kind of is but that's why when when he's sort of being kind and caring yeah. with no agenda he just wants to help it's, but again it's that you difficult one, era isn't it where you know just from the way that it is that that kind of man is in that era yeah. slightly emasculated yeah well, completely that we're not at an era yet where it's okay for a guy to believe in things and be sensitive no without you also thinking well I don't fancy him no quite he's a he's not he's not a threat at this stage to Which anyone or anything. <laughs> Abby needs someone. Well, she does. She to just needs, unburden herself needs to. a bit of kindness. Needs a big a big listening ear. And so a... Leo says to Lynn, "I'm going for a walk on the beach." <laughs> You're, you're, apropos of nothing <laughs> your impression is becoming increasingly savage anyway meanwhile Tom is finding all this information out that, that James yeah. Deverell isn't in fact the man who bought his yeah, boat yeah. so who the Doesn't hell is he and then comes the moment would you want to describe how this episode finishes so basically you're getting cuts between Leo walking in a carefree fashion along a very blustery beach meanwhile uh, Abby is also by the sea although I did think it was cut together slightly oddly where you weren't sure whether she was on the beach or where exactly she, she was, was on the beach She's standing on a groin <laughs> without wishing to. I think no. From what I remember, because it looks like she's on a sea wall by the time this this, epi- this the, the episode mm. finishes. I think she's walking on the beach and then she kind of goes up onto the sea wall okay. for the last bit. Because yeah, otherwise, yeah. you can't really fall. She into manages the, sea the amazing the feat in yeah. this last scene of managing to make herself look even more. You know, it's a big ask. She's gone too miserable too early oh, in the true, early part true. of this episode, but she manages to really plumb the depth so that you know that something big and dramatic is going to happen. There are proper tears and a wobbly lip and everything. And at that point, suddenly, like an idiot, I'm Mm. thinking, oh my God, Abby's pregnant. 
<laughs> oh my god! And how do you get out of this? She's pregnant yeah, and yeah. she's gonna throw herself into the sea. Cuts to Leo, who opens wide that mouth below those two moles and utters what for me was the catchphrase for my entire hit series of Howard's Way, which yeah. was Leo going, <laughs> like that. And, and me and my friend Tim, who were both a bit obsessed with Howard's Way when yeah. we were 13, 14, used to say that all the time. He used to shout that all the time. <laughs> And I had no idea that it happened so early. Oh. I thought that cry was like in about episode series four it's or something. Awful. Well, no, clearly it, it stayed That plaintive cry. So she falls, not falls, she jumps into the water. At which point some producer gets out his checkbook because yeah. then there's an underwater bit of her in a tank somewhere with, at Elstree. With like seaweed in her mouth. Yeah. And clearly we don't know what's going to happen next, but it's a very big, dramatic cliffhanger. I should have that. asked Abby this morning because when we were walking <gasps> the dog this morning, oh, yes. we passed a woman on Hampstead Heath and Catherine said to me, my God. And I went, what? And she went, I think that was Abby. And I said, well, actually, I think it was Tony Collette. <laughs> because they do look alike. Do they well, look they have the same kind of They do look a bit alike, hair. don't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, Catherine was trying to persuade me to, to run after her and, and say, oh, my God, I'm about to go and record a podcast about Howard's Way, and here you are. But uh, I'm trying I to imagine both of those scenarios. Like, I wasn't was... able to fully commit to it, because even if it had been her, I Catherine know. was like, she'll be thrilled. She's never done anything since. She'll be delighted. Which we actually had a moment about six months ago. We saw Leo at the theatre in town, no. in, within the West End. <gasps> and Catherine was going to go over and speak to him then. And I said, oh, don't, it's too embarrassing. And she didn't. And even oh, now, I think she should have done. Because oh. let's face it, that would have made his day, wouldn't it? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, his his son's um, Fre- um, Freddie Highmore. He's doing. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not even kidding you. He's... Leo's son. Yeah. Freddie Highmore's really good. Well, so is Leo. Right. You're, you're, I was going to ask you back on this <laughs> podcast, okay. Nick, but now I'm having serious uh, reservations. No, look. Um, that's interesting. That's really <laughs> Freddie Highmore. That's amazing. I know it is amazing. Mm. Anyway, so um, so I may have seen Abby this morning, although you said to me when we talked about this before the microphones were switched on yeah not that there's much difference between when they're off and when I know on. this is how we talk but anyway didn't you say that Abby looks quite different these days well I and haven't maybe I, I haven't have recognised her I haven't looked into this properly but when I googled looking for cast members what they're up yeah. to now it's just not easy interesting is stories it? well they're, they're, lots of them are doing very interesting things and some yeah, of them I'm are on sure. Twitter even but um, the only picture of her that comes up when you google Cindy Shelley's totally name Colette. no it's just someone I can't quite put the two faces uh, together okay. I've got this uh, I, what's this, the name um, uh, Cindy Shelley. Cindy Shelley. So yeah. it's unlikely to be. I don't know if there's another one. Shelley. But yeah, maybe she's just, you know. It's an interesting two, four name name, Cindy Shelley. Yeah. Also, wasn't she- Cindy was a doll? Wasn't Shelley a doll as well? Wasn't oh, I Shelley don't know. Shelley like one of Cindy's mates. Do you think it's a stage name? It's a bit like being called Barbie Ken, Cindy <laughs> Shelley, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> made up name anyway we have reached the end of episode three have we what I'd like to ask you to do now is uh, what some of our braver interviewees have been doing which is to sing their own version of the theme tune uh, see I thought I was really up for this and now I am a bit nervous about the singing but I'm very excited about it because can I tell you about why because I've been uh, you know you forewarned me of this and let's not pretend this is completely spontaneous oh no 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 I no. didn't write down these lyrics five minutes before I arrived good here. but what my Howard's Way song is going to be about okay. is the fact that in this episode <laughs> <laughs> I thought that one of the most frequently occurring characters was the Mini Metro. It's Jan's Mini Metro because we see yeah. her driving it. But Leo also drives it in this episode. Yeah. And I think Jan drives it about three times. I don't know whether they've got some kind of... I like it British... when she drives it angrily. There's one bit where oh, yeah, to some, show her fury at Tom, driving. she drives it really I think angrily. she's going at like 36, yeah. 37 I think, I miles per hour. Right. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of Mini Metro action 
Like more than necessary, like right to the point where I was thinking, did they do some kind of deal with the local British Leyland dealership? We need a car for this scene. Well, if you put it in an extra scene, we'll give you. This the is like that episode. Of, it's quite. It's quite a nice one. It's, it's like the episode of Alan Partridge where he keeps on doing uh, adverts for. The that's Rover. what I shouted yeah. as soon as yeah. it arrived. Was Lynn? I'm not driving a mini metro. <laughs> Actually has to works. Down, he has yes. to downgrade, yes. and Ling tries to tell him yes. that he's going to have to have a mini metro. Well, in Howard's way, yeah. they think it's quite a sexy car because well, that's what Jan's got. Well, when her husband had his good job, you know, they were considered a very affluent yeah. family, a very nice. House. That must have been she had a, mini a, a very nice little I ride like to drive for a, on a, on a, mini a housewife to have. Did you? Mm, it wasn't as nice as this one. Though. Well, I imagine hers was top of the range. It looks like it. All that remains for me to say is that you can find us on Twitter at AlwaysTherePod. Please come and say hello. And Nicholas, thank you for being... Thank you. ...always there. Red seatbelts We're wearing red seatbelts It is the 80s, you see Red's all the rage Leo's wearing... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.